Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by David Oberhedinger. David is the Chief Knowledge Officer of the NASA Caltech Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is the primary NASA field center for deep space exploration. His additional duties at the JPL Office of the Chief Engineer, including include managing the JPL Engineering Standards Office and the JPL Spaceflight Engineering Research Program and chairing the JPL Lessons Learned Committee. Formally, he managed the Spacecraft Engineering Technology Department of Northrop Grumman and he served as a reliability engineer at NASA Ames Research Center. David presently serves as a director on the board of directors for the 2016 Reliability and Maintainability Symposium. He served as the general chair of the 2014 RAMS conference. David, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Oh, I've been looking forward to it. David, at RAMS 2015 earlier this year, you moderated a panel discussion titled Managing Critical R&M Knowledge that included a variety of folks from government, academia, and industry. Why do you see knowledge management as an urgent issue, specifically for reliability engineering? Well, I organized the panel because technical conferences serve to advance knowledge in the field, but to my knowledge, no one had ever addressed the question of whether the technical discipline and the companies that employ the discipline are doing an effective job of capturing and retaining the knowledge they already have. Um, you know, for example, uh, the, department of the, the Department of Defense went through acquisition reform uh, where many of the key military standards and handbooks were canceled in favor of a less prescriptive approach that didn't really work. Um, now, um, knowledge uh, of the... Um, uh, uh, of the illities, you know, reliability, system safety, maintainability, QA, right. and the other engineering disciplines that emerged after World War II is arguably being lost because most of the specialists are at or past retirement age. Um, yeah, uh, you know, firms invest in, uh, well, they, today, particularly um, technology firms, uh, invest more in knowledge-based capital than they do in, in physical capital, such as equipment and buildings. Um, right. R&M know-how may be a key part of the intellectual capital of a company, but critical R&M engineering knowledge may effectively be lost unless unless active measures are taken to capture, retain, share, and, and reuse the knowledge recognized as, uh, as key to company success. And, and the knowledge retention challenges may include um, inadequate emphasis placed on husbanding uh, key knowledge, uh, employee turnover from an aging workforce, and, uh, and, and a general lack of recognition that knowledge has a residual value beyond the project that generated it. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, the NASA workforce is is aging. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, criti you know, critical R&M knowledge, um, and, and I'll, let me bring up that slide. Um, uh, critical R&M knowledge may be lost when an employee leaves, uh, especially if we haven't been hiring junior employees to learn from the soon-to-be retirees. 
um, or if we haven't taken active measures to capture the knowledge so it can be accessed. Um, right. To, uh, this, per this chart, uh, today's NASA civil service workforce, age 50 or older, outnumbers those younger than 35 by more than three to one. You know, 50% wow. versus 15%. And for this, the S&E, the um, science and engineering occupational cat categories, it's even more disparate, 50% versus 14%. And, and also, science and engineering include specialties that are hard to find in industry. Hence, um, you see a, an age distribution of figure one that peaks for NASA employees in their late 40s and, and in their 50s. Um, I obtained this data for NASA payroll data for the end of uh, FY14. In, in, comparison, in comparison, figure two shows that 20 years ago, the NASA age uh, distribution was essentially flat for the various age groups. Uh, and, and maybe the one outlier was engineers and scientists in their early 30s. Right. So, so in 2012, um, you know, 17% of the science and engineering employees retired. So, you know, let's say something like 17% uh, of the reliability engineers, possibly, uh, if, if, that, if uh, reliability engineering is representative of uh, science and engineering. And, and for sure. JPL, uh, the age distribution is similar to NASA's, um, <laughs> except for JPL, arguably, uh, uh, replacing this intellectual capital is, is particularly difficult because nowhere outside JPL and its contractors does there exist an equivalent pool of expertise in deep space reliability engineering for which to, to draw experienced staff? I mean, no one other than JPL worries about failure rates on Mars. I mean, in your company, <laughs> do, you worry, do you worry about failure rates on Mars? No, I mean, no. Maybe not. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, or, or in Jupiter's radiation environment. Um, on the other hand, maintainability isn't really an, an issue with us for obvious reasons. But, yeah. So, so sure. you might call this the, um, yeah, we don't send repairmen up to Mars. So you might call this um, the silver tsunami, you know, or, or I think the oil and gas industry calls it the great crew change because um, they have a similar problem. But, but where do we get our new crew? Uh, you know, I mean, not from the tiny number of millennials you see in, uh, in figure one there on the left. Uh, actually, if JPL hires a fresh reliability engineer out of the University of Maryland or UCLA, they may actually have more current reliability engineering skills or reliability analysis skills than, than a real experienced JPLer. But what they won't have is knowledge of what can go wrong. I mean, you know, are right. they familiar with the failure modes during the cold nights on Mars? Good point. Good point. You know, I, I, this, is, this is really a pretty striking graph that you're showing on screen right now. It hmm. uh, really illustrates the problem very clearly. You know, I, you, you touched earlier, David, on some of the specific types of knowledge that we're talking about when it comes to knowledge management. Uh, can you give us some other examples of some uh, the, the dangers or the, the risks of this retiring or aging workforce? Well, I, you know, I'm the CKO at the NASA Caltech Jet Propulsion Laboratory, but, but I also have 20 years' experience in, in reliability engineering at NASA, uh, culminating with my stint last year as the RAMS general chair. Um, mm -hmm. You know, NASA is the lead 
I mean, JPL is the lead NASA field center for the unmanned exploration of, of the solar mm-hmm. system. So that background sure. colors somewhat colors my viewpoint. Uh, sure. But but when I was um, uh, giving this panel uh, back uh, on uh, well yeah it was uh, January 26th actually, um, I made a slight digression. I pointed out that. JPL designed the rover Opportunity that that you see here. Right. Um, launched in 2003 uh, to last 90 days after landing. So <laughs> during the panel, I said that yesterday, uh, you know, January 25th, uh, 2015, was the 11-year anniversary of the little fellow operating on Mars. So wow. 11 years. Yeah. I mean, Opportunity. Yeah, 11 years. It was designed the last 30 days. So I mean, Opportunity. <laughs> Opportunity is driven farther than any other wheeled vehicle on another world, uh, including the astronaut-operated lunar vehicles. Um, right. and, and the planet Mars has an extremely hostile operating environment. You know, I mean, uh, military equipment, your your toaster. I mean, you know, and nothing really can compare with it. Um, no. You know, the, the temperature in, in the in the office I'm sitting in right now is about as warm as it gets on Mars. Uh, if it's summer and, and you're located on the on the equator, uh, right. and it's noon, um, but uh, but this evening, you know, the electronics uh, on Mars can suffer a 200 degree temperature drop. Wow. And and so the reliability design of your electronics. Um, uh, must cope with this diurnal temperature cycle, uh, 300 mile an hour winds, uh, significant radiation environment, lots of boulders, abrasive sand, steep slopes, quicksand, Absolutely. Uh, commanding delays due to one-way light time. You know, it, Mars and Earth vary between what 55 million kilometers and I think 400 and 410 million kilometers, depending on you know, the, the orbit, and uh, so it can be as long as 20 minutes to, for a TV signal to come back and for a command to go up. So, and, right. and, and as I said, very, very limited opportunities for repair, you know, once Certainly. you launch a <laughs> Mars rover. So, right. so I, I view these 11 years, uh, and that's why I brought it up during the panel before, you know, uh, all the attendees at Rams. You know, I view these 11 years as a kind of a milestone in the annals of reliability engineering. And, and the technical know-how to meet such technical challenges is an example of the type of knowledge we're talking about capturing and retaining. You know? um, and this isn't the kind of thing. This isn't the kind of Dave, the kind of thing, David, that you can learn in school. I mean, there really is no other place to go except uh, you know the, the real life uh, experience that you gain at JPL. Yeah. So in terms of um, knowledge management, maybe you rely on mentoring and. Uh, uh, but as I said, you know, also the young people coming in, um, uh, uh, since they bring special skills, uh, they have uh, maybe some of the latest training and familiarity with tools. I mean, you also want to capture their knowledge as well. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And and when you talk about knowledge management at, at, at JPL, you know, you asked me what kind of knowledge I'm talking about, uh, because JPL is primarily an engineering organization. So I've, I've been focusing on, uh, on specifically capturing uh, engineering knowledge and know-how. Sure. As opposed to, for example, inf- information technology. I mean, you know, the IT we use is no different from any other company. So there's really nothing right. unique or key about that. 
but uh, but but for example, how to do entry, descent, and landing to the surface of Mars. That's that's key knowledge, in, in my in my Certainly. opinion. David, you've had a chance, I'm sure, to speak with folks from other companies as well. Do mm-hmm. you see a, a general problem? I mean, not just one that uh, faces you at JPL, but something that is going to be a challenge for people at other companies as well. Well, once our economy was was based on smokestack industries, um, you know, today many companies have far more invested in intellectual capital than than in mm-hmm. physical capital. You know, except mm-hmm. for maybe I don't know the auto industry, they have welding robots and things like that. But most you know right. uh, technology companies don't have much more than desks and computers. Uh, so at JPL, having to restore knowledge that we fail to capture, attain, and share is not only costly, but it entails additional risk. Why? Because um, if we haven't, if we haven't, you know, we have, for example, Mars Science Laboratory, a larger rover than, than you see here, about the size of Mini Cooper, and uh, now right. we're building a an identical robo- rover to um, uh, to call Mars 2020 to be launched in, in 2020. And um, so if you were to fail to capture knowledge in the development from the one rover to the, the new identical rover, there's not just the additional cost of restoring that knowledge, but there's also additional risk because the, the old knowledge that you failed to capture was proven in ground test and in spaceflight. Right. So, right. you know, if you either you, you know it worked or you know it didn't work uh, because you've actually flown it. So if, so if you said, oh, okay, we didn't do a very good job at really retaining that knowledge and now try to recreate it, it's not just the additional cost but also the additional risk. Um, wow. Yeah, so, so to answer your question, I mean, um, you know, why don't more companies focus more attention on this issue? I, I think... Uh, companies do recognize the need for knowledge husbandry. It's just not uh, not easy. Uh, for example, much knowledge is is tacit as opposed to yes. explicit. You know, uh, tacit knowledge is not really conveyed easily through language. Uh, you can you could write a very detailed manual telling someone how to ride a bicycle, and you know, mm-hmm. say, okay, you want to turn left. You know, you lean to the left. Well, are they going to be able to take that and be able to ride the bicycle? Right. Probably not. But if you had um, like a tandem bike and had like, a, you know, Lance Armstrong in the front seat and then you sit in the back seat and you don't know how to ride a bicycle. And so, okay, you know, Lance leans and, and you lean along with Lance. Okay. And, you know, that's how tacit knowledge gets conveyed, you know, through right. apprenticeship and mentoring and, and so forth where you're you're exposed to it and kind of uh, knowledge that's transferred by doing, by actually doing the right. work. So, um, uh, you know, JPL and NASA are, uh, are really excellent at sharing knowledge, uh, uh, both internally and, and with the public. I mean, you know, right. certainly the Department of Defense, it's, it's not a major um, uh, goal of theirs to transfer defense knowledge outside of the Department of Defense. But with NASA, it is. I mean, they actually, they go through, they're actually evaluated uh, on the basis of um, uh, a transferring technology to the public and and making sure the public knows what we do. And, but, but uh, you know, uh, so we do this external um, 
technology transfer, but uh, <laughs> we don't always do a very good job of, of transferring it internally. I mean, we have these content management systems, um, uh, uh, project libraries uh, for the okay. spaceflight projects, and um, and generally those those libraries which hold uh, terabytes of, of data, you know, documents and files that have been generated over the course of the project. Um, aren't shared outside of the project with other JPL people. Um, and, you know, we had one guy who was um, the flight system manager for Mars Science Laboratory, and when he left Mars Science Laboratory uh, for a senior uh, line organization um, position, he, he lost his access to that project library. He, he um, Wow. Yeah, he wasn't able to even access documents he'd prepared and, and uploaded. So one thing we're, we're doing uh, at JPL is this open access initiative. My organization is pushing to to break through that those kind of arbitrary barriers that say, you know, not giving people the knowledge they need to do their job um, for no real particular reason. It just it just we happen to be a little bit siloed that way. It's really unfortunate when that happens. I know when I used to work at Hewlett Packard, we used to say, uh, "If only HP knew what HP knew." You know, yeah, there was yeah. so much knowledge within the organization that wasn't being effectively shared. David, do you um, you mentioned before the the difficulties in capturing tacit knowledge? Uh, do you do more than just ask people to write down their knowledge? Do you use other techniques to try to capture their insights and knowledge? Well, one thing we're doing is um, we have something really neat called JPL Tube, and it's like YouTube in terms of the general um, um, look and feel of it. Um, Good. Except, um, uh, and, and there's about 2,000 um, videos that have been uploaded wow. so far uh, by JPL people. To anyone can upload to to JPL Tube. But what's unique about right. it over something like YouTube is we um, JPL. Um, partnered with Microsoft Research and with the NASA Headquarters IT Labs to um, to license uh, Microsoft Research's Mavis technology, and, and what it does is um, is it allows you to um, well, when, whenever you upload a um, um, a video, it right. automatically generates a scrolling transcript of that video. And wow. so that's a little helpful in that you can w read the transcript as you're watching the video. But what it, what really makes it powerful is all of a sudden you can search video content. I mean, you know, it would be great to record all sorts of meetings and so forth to be able to capture key knowledge because we generally don't do a good job of writing technical memos these days. And, you know, what with PowerPoint <laughs> and email being so right. easy to use. Right. But but who would ever want to sit through hundreds or even thousands of hours of video just to find the key factor we're looking for? Well, now you can go directly to it. You can search on it and go. It'll actually bring up a snippet or a snippet from one of several videos, and you select which videos is relevant. And, and so now, all of a sudden, we can, we're talking about tacit knowledge, uh, we can have people who are, we have this one guy um, who was in planetary protection. Uh, planetary protection is where you sterilize a spacecraft before you send it to Mars, because wow. you don't want to all of a sudden find life on Mars, only to discover you just discovered Earth life. You know, you basically right. contaminated Mars. So uh, we have this fellow named Bob Kugel, who was retiring. He was kind of our chief expert in planetary protection. 
and um, and so we we recorded an eight-hour seminar in which he talked about how you do planetary protection. So you can go into you know at the very high window, the top window of JPL tube, and search alcohol wipes, and quick search. And it'll bring you directly to uh, about three hours into his eight-hour um, uh, seminar, he, where he's a little snippet where he's talking about how effective alcohol wipes are in sterilizing spacecraft. Um, wow. So yeah, that that's one way uh, of capturing um, tacit knowledge. That's kind of, um, I think, pretty advanced. And then there's some tried and true methods like uh, mentoring. Uh, mentoring is very effective. Uh, yes. um, you know, if if you can um, come up with good mentoring programs. Certainly. It seems like it's easier to announce a knowledge management program than it is to actually put it in practice. I guess I have mm -hmm. two questions for you. How can companies make sure? What suggestions would you have to make sure that companies are that employees are actually archiving their knowledge, and then? My second question is, how can we make sure that people are referring to that knowledge base once the knowledge base is in place? Well, yeah, it is easier to announce a knowledge management program than it is to, to put it in practice. Um, it really requires a cultural change, which can't be achieved overnight. It's a matter of getting an engineer to think, hey, maybe I should store that important report I just finished somewhere other than on my hard drive. Mm, so yeah. so that the knowledge can be retained um, and shared. Um, so so yeah, that's that's um, uh, that's uh, certainly um, uh, harder uh, to uh, to get people to perceive the need to to do that sort of thing. And it seems um, like at, 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 at the end of a project, uh, it seems like mm -hmm. the last thing people want to do is re go back and reflect on the project. You know, it's, it's yeah. Uh, it seems, seems, Usually seems like they just want to run away. You know, they yeah. they're they're given a new project to work on. Hopefully, I mean, exactly. you know, that, that's that's what they've been lobbying for toward the end of the old program. And secondly, right. there's usually not much money uh, left in the project to go back and do archiving. And, and in fact, point. at JPL, they're actually using the JPL library. Uh, to do that sort of archiving um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, because of the projects uh, yeah they're uh, they're you know not terribly interested or or, or capable of, of doing it once the project ends right so do you have any ideas about how we can incentivize people to actually take those steps to archive their knowledge well, do we have to wait do we have to wait until they announce retirement <laughs> before we start to capture their insights well you know there, there are many industries in the same bolt as the same boat as JPL um, mm -hmm. you know for instance the the oil and gas industry I mentioned is facing what they call the great crew change they have kind of a similar uh -huh. uh, distribution of um, of uh, knowledge uh, uh, in terms of demographics um, and um, you know, I'd say first of all, um, knowledge management shouldn't be an IT function. It's not about mm. computer tools, uh, although there may be computer tools that that may be useful in knowledge man management. Sure. So the companies sure. that fail, uh, in my opinion, are where they um, they they put the um, uh, well, as I said, JPL being an engineering organization. Knowledge uh, capture should really be the the province of the engineering organization, 
And I right. guess, yeah, if, if we were Microsoft, then maybe it would be in an IT organization because that, uh, but not an IT service organization, you know, IT I development see. organization. You know, it should be, what, what is the business of the company? That's where you put the, exactly. you locate the, um, the KM function. Um, so, you know, JPL, JPL has a commitment to being a, you know, a learning organization. I mean, for example, we've had a lessons learned committee that's met weekly since 1984 uh, to produce wow. very, very carefully researched lessons learned. Um, Goddard Space Flight Center and, and Johnson Space Center, in, you know, in Maryland and, and Texas, respectively, they've been in, in the knowledge management field for 10 years. And JBL is beginning to borrow uh, from some successful uh, techniques that they've pioneered, um, such as um, uh, generating case studies and, and using those um, uh, for training project personnel, and uh, holding pause and learn sessions for project managers, where a project manager steps up at a project manager meeting and talks about something that happened on his pro or her project what went wrong, what they did in response, and what maybe they would do differently. And, and right. not for further attribution, you know, no PowerPoint, more storytelling, uh, sharing that information with your peers. Um, Boeing uh, uh, Aerospace has an internal version of, um, of LinkedIn, you know, a social networking site, uh, right. where each employee's performance review consists of meeting with a supervisor to reach agreement on what is that employee's skill set. And then that right. defined skill set information is available throughout Boeing worldwide via that social network, you know, their version of, of LinkedIn. So, you know, instead of a performance evaluation being something that only the employee and their supervisor ever sees, this becomes a tool for, uh, for saying, hey, here's a piece of knowledge out here. Uh, you know, it's an expert lo expertise locator, essentially. So, yeah. Um, th um, but, you know, first, I think JPL has to identify, you know, if we try to capture all knowledge at JPL, uh, you know, I, don't, I don't think that's very effective. What, what we're trying to do is identify which knowledge is truly critical to JPL's ability to continue to do what we do, you know, such as... Right. You know, land ever larger payloads, maybe including humans on on Mars through, you know, Mars entry, descent, and landing technology. Uh, so we can't capture all knowledge, um, but we can focus in on what's really key, what only JPL knows, and what we'd be in big trouble. We wouldn't be able to do deep space missions if if we lost. And and secondly, right. secondly, I think that JPL or or any um, knowledge management organization. Um, needs to collect metrics that shows the increased maturity of the JPL knowledge management program over time. Uh, you know, what can be measured can be managed. Um, but but I, I, as the chief knowledge officer, don't manage JPL knowledge. You know, I don't... Uh, I don't do knowledge management. I mean, what I do is I can only act as an advocate um, for encouraging individual JPL employees to manage the knowledge, to, to capture, retain, and share it. Um, that knowledge that is needed uh, for the project organization and the line organization to do their work. Right. So 
David, you can lead a horse to water, but how do you how do you get folks to actually drink the water? You know, I mean, how do you get them to actually mm-hmm. use the knowledge that's in the knowledge base? How do you avoid that NIH that not invented here syndrome? Yeah. Well, um, that's really the big question. I mean, you know, they talk about lessons learned. I mentioned I had we've had this lessons learned program since 1984, so we put a significant um, number of lessons learned into this repository, which is available throughout NASA and even through the public. But then the question, you know, everyone asks, well, how do you know that people are reading the lessons learned? Right. Well, yeah, um, you know. How can you actually measure the utility of the lessons learned program? But you know, in um, in the course of uh, of um, of a project, you do things like um, like risk management. Okay, you have a risk management pro- program to manage risks to to mitigate them over time, drive them down. Well, how can you prove that your risk management program had any value? I mean, uh, your your project is successful. You land successfully on Mars and you operate for 11 years. Well, okay, but you could have done that maybe without the risk management program, you know, or you fail. And well, did the risk? How do you know the risk management program? You know, so yeah, it's difficult to prove. The same thing with system safety. I mean, they say. Uh, I remember uh, in the early 50s they were saying, well, you know, the, the benefit of a system safety program is if you save one plane from crashing, uh, you've paid for your entire system safety engineering program. Okay, right. so, but but still, after the fact, how do you know? Okay, how you how do you connect a plane crashing or not crashing from your investment in system safety? There's no no clear connection. So, there's some some, some things that are simply the hallmark of a mature engineering organization. Uh, you you learn from from your lessons, from your mistakes, and from your successes. Another thing you do is you document problems and failures and, you know, to corrective action. That's right. kind of like, in reliability, that's that's kind of the very minimum thing you do. I mean, you, you may not do reliability prediction. There's a whole bunch of things, uh, you know, worst case analysis. You can decide to scrap that. But generally, the, the very minimum you do in reliability engineering is to have a uh, what they usually call fracas, failure reporting and corrective action system. Right. So, sure. But, yeah, so there, there are some things that, that are just good practices, but it's very difficult to, to come in afterwards. Uh, you know, and if you do, do do a good job of collecting data, say lessons learned, okay, um, I, I uh, had 2,000 people visit the NASA Lessons Learned site last month. This month it was only 50 people. Well, does that mean I'm doing a bad job? What if one of those 50 people, one of those 50 people read a lesson learned and it saved a billion dollar mission? Right. So that that, you know, that one hit may the metric may be much more valuable than the 2000 you had the previous month. I so, agree. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, you you know, you can you you can lead the horse to water and you can make the water taste really sweet. <laughs> but but if people aren't willing to learn from their mistakes, I mean, uh, I think it was um, uh, oh it was a, a German um, uh, general that that said, I don't learn from my mistakes. I prefer to learn from others' mistakes. Ah. Uh, and and so yeah, that's that's your motivation to go in and and look at lessons learned because other people have made mistakes and. And, uh, you know, at JPL, we just do such high-risk missions, and we're supposed to. I mean, we're supposed to take on a lot of risk, 
And um, so, um, um, where was I going with this? Um, uh, um, hmm. There's um, a reason to take the risk. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. There's yeah. there's a reason to take that risk, and that's part of your mm -hmm. mission, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, oh, where I was going. Okay. So yeah. So. Um, uh, at JPL we're, we, and at NASA, um, we're encouraged to take on extremely high-risk missions. Um, yep. And uh, oh, I just lost it again. Um, <laughs> <a second. laughs> I, I had a point there, and then I remembered it, and I, I lost it again. Uh, no problem. Listen, David, I can, I can understand why the big companies, you mentioned Boeing and mm -hmm. um, and some other folks that have uh, invested a lot in knowledge management, but what, what are there any lessons here for smaller companies that may be facing the same kind of brain drain or same kind of losses because of retiring employees? Do you have, do you have any advice for them about how they might be able to uh, do a better job capturing that knowledge? Well, you know, when I when I attend RAMS, uh, you you do a lot of networking with uh, reliability engineers, and many many RAMS attendees are like a village priest uh, visiting the Vatican. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they they are the only reliability engineer back at their company. That's right. You know, That's right. The only priest for the village, um, and and as such, they are single string individuals. You know, there's no corporate redundancy if, if you only have one reliability engineer or or, right. or or a very small number. I mean, you know, it's, they're single-string people. So the small company may have far more to lose if that person leaves the company or takes another position within the company. Um, Good point. If a company has survived competition, uh, it's because they know how to do something better than their competitors. Uh, in right. some way, they position themselves to compete successfully. Um, but will they continue to make good use of what they know? Uh, and uh, um, yeah, so it's really small companies, large companies, it, it doesn't matter. And, and that's what we're trying to do at JPL, to make good use of what we know. That makes a lot of sense, David. <laughs> Thanks so much for your insights today. This has been great. Sure. Yeah, uh, was, glad to share them. <laughs> Thanks again. That was David Overhettinger. Hope Overhettinger. So sorry, David Overhettinger, Chief Knowledge Officer at NASA Caltech's Jet Propulsion Laboratory and General Chair of the 2014 RAMS Conference. For more information, please visit the website of the Office of the Chief Knowledge Officer at NASA Caltech JPL. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us.